players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of magic. Karn, the great creator, Stony Silence, Nullroom, and many others, battling head-to-head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToAMagic.com. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Legacy on Blast. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week available in our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access to all sorts of anecdotes on baseball and yokel hops. How's everybody doing tonight? Pretty good. With a name like Legacy on Blast, though, are we just calling out other people in the Legacy community? Like, hey, Brian Koval, I saw your video. It sucked. Legacy on Blast. Hashtag or something like that. We do that every week already. It's the Patreon pre-show. If you want to hear us talking shit and naming names, get in there. That stuff isn't free. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll we'll have to make our next pre-show ex- extra salt-filled, you know, like we are all notorious salt lords. There is not one bit of wholesome en- energy amongst us. I now, hate if you excuse me, I'm going to like cozy up in my blankie here. Great. All right. Um, why don't we start with our uh, donations and patrons? Yeah. Since the last episode, people who answered the call, RJ Fisher, Sage Olson, Viet Trin, Evan Flynn, DJ Howell, Yukes Oliviera, Carl, Cody Bauer, and Griffin Murnane. Thank you all for joining the Patreon. Uh, really, the the support means a lot. Like, we wouldn't have the time to do what we do with all of our content if not for, like, all of the, the people propping us up and, and supporting us. The, the, the thanks every week, it's, it's very genuine. And it's helpful on an extremely practical level, too, of filling the episode. Because the medium-tier Patreon, the companion-level level patrons, get to choose half of our episode's topic which is what we're about to transition into here our patreon submitted topics oh man we really call it the companion tier we do like do i do i just play pay three mana and put rj fisher into my hand and like grab the question yeah basically uh luris is the avatar of that patreon tier you all you're so smart and handsome this is great. Here we go. Section one. Our first question does come from RJ Fisher. Has Thoughtseize been bad long enough that it's good again, since it's not being respected again? Stifle is best when it's bad. Logic applies here. I know Bryant has long and complicated feelings about this answer, so I'll get my short response in first. One, Stifle is always bad. That's a trick. <laughs> no, Bryant is I, correct. I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I, I'm not like trying to poop on RJ here. You might get someone once in a while on their first fetch land with a stifle if stifle has fallen out of favor but stifles out of favor for a reason every time there's a band shakeup or something happens you have to play against stifle for like a week and a half then everyone realizes that card is bad stifle is always bad now that we've established that 
that's the same answer for Thoughtseize. Like, Stifle is a card that you can adjust play patterns to play around. Thoughtseize, the whole point of a card like Thoughtseize is the raw power of, for one mana, I'm taking a peek and I'm ripping it out. That is the entire thing that Thoughtseize does. Nobody's building their deck out of lack of respect for Thoughtseize. They're building decks where they are because Thoughtseize is not a respectable card right now. Just every deck can regrow from a Thoughtseize easily. Uro existing in the format is a game breaker. Expressive Iteration existing in the format is a game breaker. Sylvan Libraries in the non-blue decks and some of the blue decks. And I'm talking about in fair decks. In unfair decks, like if you're Doomsday and you just need to take a peek then win, that's one thing. Thoughtseize as a tool in fair decks that are trying to make a long game go long, uh, it, it's it does not it's not a lack of respect that's the problem. It's a lack of power. I'm in an old man legacy voice here. Back when I was playing legacy, when I first started, Stoneblade was a real deck. And we played Thoughtseize into Stoneforge Mystic, and we liked it. Thoughtseize was a real card in, in Legacy back then. Like, it very commonly saw play. Like, you saw lots of, like, fair underground sea decks. Like, those have largely disappeared. Over the past, I don't know, five years especially. Like, post-fire design especially. It's so hard for your one-for-one Thoughtseize to win you the game in a fair matchup because you're competing with so many high-caliber things that draw cards. Uro, Teferi, like, the list goes on and on and on. It's very hard to compete on a fair axis with a Thoughtseize. And even if you try to build around it, for example, I recorded a batshit crazy league with, like, Waste Knot, which incentivizes you for making people discard, when your opponent is out of cards, that thought that thought seize does nothing in the end game. And when you are drawing blanks and your opponent is just playing whatever they top deck, it feels real bad. I have a few points I'd like to make here. So I think Phil covered most of my first one, which is the overall power level of cards has increased since Thought Seize's heyday. So when you look at how decks were built from 2008 or 9 all the way up to 2017 they were usually based around a single card and if you could thought seize that card away maybe like a show and tell for example it would really cripple those decks fire design happened the overall power level of cards in the game increased as phil mentioned well now decks aren't really built around singular cards anymore it's a number of cards that are all haymakers. So like Brian mentioned, you take a look at their hand and you go, oh, they have two lands and five haymakers. Which one is going to punch me, you know, the hardest? But the answer is you're getting punched regardless, so it's going to hurt. Unlike a counterspell, you're not even forcing them to invest mana, which is another issue because like at least if it was a spell pierce or whatever, they're wasting an entire turn so you're getting a time lock. Where with discard spells, you're giving a time walk in a way, which feels pretty bad. I think in general, discard has just never been worse than it is today. And that almost dips into my second point, which is people going, well, Veil Summer exists, so I shouldn't be playing Hymnatorok and Thoughtseize and Duress. Hymnatorok and Duress and all those other cards are just not playable. Like, that's what it is. And if they were playable, then you could play them. And if they were playable, then... So right now in the last few weeks, <laughs> Ant, for example, I realized that I like messed that up. It's fine. I realized that I like messed that up. It's fine. But Ant has had a small resurgence and people are like, oh my God, Ant's back, Ant's back. But if Ant was truly back, people would start adding Veil of Summer to their sideboard and Ant would go back into the hole that it was living in previously. Like it is 
successful right now because it's not being respected. You're allowed to do this. Like if you can get away with it multiple times, keep on doing it. But at some point you will be bit. And I think that's a sign of a healthy metagame because people are always blaming Veil of Summer for discard not being powerful. And I don't think it's fair. If you're afraid of Veil of Summer, make people play it again. Because right now no one's playing Veil of Summer. And if you can get that cylindrical metagame going... That's ideally what we would ha- what would happen. And people are like, oh, well, I don't want to play him because Veil of Summer exists. Why does that matter? Uh, like, it always confuses me reading Reddit posts and people are just, like, terrified of Veil of Summer all the time. But, like, nobody plays the card. Like, you can play something for one week, enjoy it, and then play something the next week if you think people are going to metagame against you. It just drives me insane. I'm going to cherry pick my favorite part of everything you just said, where the base question was, has Thoughtseize been bad enough that it's good again, etc. If we're talking about Thoughtseize the magic card, no. If we're talking about Thoughtseize the pillar that enables certain black-based degenerate combos, yeah, maybe, like this week. Thoughtseize clearing the way for ad nauseum tendrils is the type of thing that might be good because it's bad. But Thoughtseize the magic card standalone with no context does not fit that bill. Yeah, I mean, we were we in the pre-show we were talking about Reanimator and how like if people are going to be metagaming against Delver very hard, they lose out on slots to fight against other things. And if you're not playing your your fluster storms or mind break traps or whatever you're using to fight unfair combo decks, like Dark Ritual Doomsday goes burr, Dark Ritual Entomb, Grizzlebrand somehow, like those things will kill you. They will kill you dead. They will kill you fast if you're not ready to fight them. And it's worth noting, the Epic Storm cut Grape Shot because you're like, nobody else is playing Veil of Summer other than us. So like, we don't even play a way of beating Veil of Summer anymore, just because like, that's how little we respect that card. So if you want to, for a few weeks, play Grixis Control with four Hymnotorok in it, live your best life. Be rewinded, reminded why Hymnotorok sucks to begin with and that you shouldn't have played it anyway. When's the last time you saw a dedicated discard deck do well? How excited were you when you saw that? Because when like, Pox makes a top eight or something, you're like, yeah, because you know that person just won a very uphill battle. Playing Thoughtseize in your Dead Guy Ale, your your Pox type decks, where like you are really trying to support discard as a primary thing you're doing, it's hard, and I would not recommend it. I'd like to make a quick caveat. Uh, there's probably like some black green depths people that are like a little bit upset right now because that deck has put up a few top eights over the last few months in like the Saturday challenges. But then to upset everyone that cares about the Saturday challenges, they're glorified 1Ks. I'm sorry. They're well, like regardless of how you feel about a Saturday challenge, Black Green Depths is exactly what we're talking about of a deck in the pocket of Thoughtseize to check once, then you're dead. They're not playing for a mid game, much less a long game. It's what you got in. They are exactly in the pocket of Thoughtseize decks that are playable. We've shouted out Black Green Depths indirectly already a few times. And to Phil's point, yeah, every time someone casts him to Turok against me in a league, I'm like, Hell yeah, brother. I'm rooting for you at my own expense at this point. Check out my YouTube from this week if you want to see the greatest Hymn to Turok of all time, though. Brian's trying to move us on, so I'm not going to talk about it, but unquestionably best Hymn to Turok of all time happened this week. Don't believe him. Don't take his word for it. Go watch the video. You know who I'm not rooting for in leagues, though? Is it Delver? Is it Delver? (laughs) Which, Which brings us into Patreon companion Chris's question. I'll read the question in its entirety. It's a little wordy, but... It's good. Perhaps you do not want to talk about these sorts of things, but I am interested in your thoughts on the elephant or insectile aberration, if you prefer, in the proverbial legacy room. As a Delver, three months or so ago when they banned Ragavan, Watsi said, 
They would be, quote, keeping an eye on the format and would make additional changes if they were warranted. After the past few weeks and the repeated dominance of Is It Delver, hell, even Brian Koval, that's me, put down his tundras and picked up the deck for the Buffalo Chicken Dip Tourney. Do you think changes are warranted? If so, what? I apologize for the long question, Chris. It's true. I did cosplay as a cop and played Is It Delver and easily top eight at a tournament last weekend. We touched on this a bit in the last episode because uh, it's been a full two weeks with no action since Is It Delver reestablished maximum bullshit levels. Yeah, Chris, I think something should be done. I think Watsy needs to make good on their keeping an eye on the format and make additional changes if warranted. Promise. I'll let you guys decide how much time you want to talk about the specifics of this because the rest of our episode we're talking about Pyroblast as a main deckable card in the Legacy format, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Bullwinkle's rebuild of Izzet. So this is going to be an entire Izzet episode. I'll hand it over to you guys to decide how much you want to talk about bans. I'll, I'll, I'll start, because I think what I have to say is quick. Absolutely pro-bans. Whether or not you're willing to, like, cut the head off the Hydra and just burn it and take out a real card of the Delver Shell, or whether or not we just want to keep playing the same game of, like, Oh, here's a new broken card advantage engine. Oh, here's a new overpowered cheap thing to slot into the deck. If we want to keep playing that game forever or you want to attack like the real Delver shell and get something like Daze, like I honestly, I'm good for anything for a shakeup. I want to give Watsy some credit here. Going back to the Hopper format panel article, one of the things that they said was like, hey, we're either going to make changes really quickly or we're going to wait until the new set comes out, and then after that we'll make some changes. I'm really hoping that, like, these changes are, like, printed, ready to go, and they're just waiting for, like, the spoiler season to end, new set to come out, and then it's like, hey, here's your new format. I would really hope, like, signal loud and clear, like, we know that we know it's bad. Honestly, I feel like that's a weird stance that Wizards would put out because ideally you'd want to hit something before a new set comes out because that just gives them an excuse to wait even longer. Because if I'm you know going to play devil's advocate, if I'm sitting in the BNR chair, I go, well, we just released 374 new cards that could theoretically impact the legacy metagame. Why would we ban something now? We have to see how these new cards impact the format. Obviously, there's nothing from Streets of new Catania or whatever it's I don't know Straits of Settlers of Catan Uh, well just yes exactly I don't think there's a good justification for them to ban something when there's new cards being like ideally they would do it before a new set came out in my opinion Uh, I think you are missing their motivation which is not we hope these new cards impact legacy in a way that dislodges Delver from the S tier I think they're saying we don't want to distract from spoiler season and our ability to sell cards that. that that's what they mean by that Okay. Prices go up. All right, we're not going there. (laughs) At the beginning of uh, the question from Chris, Brian made a joke about how legacy isn't played in leagues. And actually, I I I think we're all in agreement that something needs to change. You said legacy. Legacy is not played in leagues. Okay. Oh yeah, legacy is not played in leagues. That's true. I'm joking. But uh, is it Delver isn't played in leagues? That's what I meant to say. I've destroyed this podcast. I'm sorry, guys. I've destroyed this podcast. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, please fire me. Do it now. (laughs) Phil and I will carry this like we did last episode. Muscles. When I lost my contacts. Yeah. If you were listening to the last episode, I lost my contacts and couldn't read the show notes for the last like ten minutes. I just like didn't participate. Yeah, his like eyes were watering. We could see him. He muted his 
mic we could see him like wiping his eyes and like crying and like leaving the room and coming back and then leaving again and phil and i just carried the last 10 minutes of the episode i bet you didn't even <laughs> yeah, notice this is, the, this is the behind the scenes stuff yeah i don't matter it's fine anyway delver's not played in leagues carry on correct it's funny because there's a few members of the legacy community that have tweeted out things about how they're trying to test for events one of my good friends was trying to test for uh, a local 2k this weekend said that they played two leagues never once faced delver uh today a few people were tweeting about how delver isn't played in league so why does it need to be banned and i think that there needs to be a distinction because i think like the legacy leagues are often way less competitive than the challenges uh it's just because like the challenges are a lot of people trying really hard to spike where in the leagues, I think you get a lot more of the fun aspect of Legacy. You get to play your sweet brews and all that sort of stuff. And if you're only someone that plays League, you might not experience the same thing that the people on Twitter are upset about. And I think sometimes there's a disconnect within the community where people are like, it's fine, I never face it. Versus the people that are like, I just played a challenge and I faced it six times. Um, because like really, Legacy is full of people that are spikes and then people that are maybe a little bit more casual. Yeah, this is just a, a really easy point made across all formats where the higher the stakes the less creative you get to be or the the harder you have to dial in on what actually matters like it's the entire edh power level discussion which is basically the identity of the edh the biggest format in magic is identified by what we agree to play at our table the second you put any stakes on it it's just like five dollars to sit at the table winner gets the 20 everyone's gonna be cracking off cedh decks and having no fun leagues are the casual table basically they are the lowest stakes easiest recoup easiest way to go infinite way to access legacy in the world it's not even close and there's just enough stakes like you do have to pay entry that people care a little bit like you're not going to be playing against literal like savannah lions white weenie in the legacy queues <laughs> phil just made a face like he has that video dropping <laughs> next week but like you're not going to hit that you are going to be playing against real decks like enough that someone is willing to wager ten dollars on being able to three two with it so but yeah obviously compared to a challenge and then compared to a showcase it's a very different animal briefly talking about leagues if you play enough leagues you will come to the conclusion that blue red delver is broken but i think for a lot of people who play legacy it's two one or two leagues worth of legacy a week like for those of you who are paper only players how, how big is your local are you playing three or four rounds a week for those of you who are parents or have jobs that require you to work more than 40 hours a week like how many leagues are you really getting in if you play against blue red delver once a week you're like yeah this deck's fine. If you're recording five plus leagues a week for content and like you're on your 10th round versus Delver of the week, I roll like, okay, so it's turn one. I'm already concerned about a Murktide regent. Like if it comes down, I'm going to die to it. I don't have a removal spell in my hand. You'll, you'll, you'll still come to those conclusions if your sample size is large enough. Yeah, it's a running meme. Phil actually sees Murktide in his sleep. <laughs> yeah, it ha it like, haunts Phil me. Phil falls asleep. It haunts me. Nightmares. Just like, oh God, turn one Dragon Rage channeler. Turn three Murktide region. No! It's a running meme on my channel where when I see someone lead on Volcanic Island, I say, ooh, we've got to try hard. <laughs> and just rubbing it because like i really do go on runs where i might record three or four videos without saying delver and then i queue into it four times in a league and i'm just like bruh come on anyway i'm gonna wrap up this section by saying is it delver got four cracked cards any one of which would have sent it over the top in ragavan drc expressive iteration and murktide regent over a three-month period and they banned one of those four cards the other three still at large and i think any combination thereof would be fair band targets. Yeah. But in the meantime, 
Maybe we should main deck some Pyroblasts. What do you think, guys? Yeah, mo- more than one. If we if we get up to like three, I think that's fine. Like one, one's rookie numbers. We gotta we gotta we gotta pump up those numbers. So what what Phil's riffing on here is one Pyroblast is basically stock in Delver at this point. Pyroblast is just so good in the mirror, and you're so disrespectful of everything else that one Pyroblast. You can expect that 100% out of your Delver opponent. In these higher stakes events that we were just talking about, like showcase qualifiers, the winner of one of the showcase queues in the last two weeks played three main deck Pyroblast. That player was just like, you know what? Fuck it. (laughs) I'm not losing the mirror. Let's go. It's the only deck that matters. And they were right. So what does that say about the format? Well, I think that there's two or something we should address here. So main deck Pyroblast is obviously really good because it answers the giant blue dragon in the room. Tide region, but then there's a secondary effect of Dragon's Reach Channeler. When you play Dragon's Reach Channeler, you can mill Pyroblast in matchups that it's not good in. So you might see it off a of ponder, go, okay, I can mill that with this bobble, or you go, okay, I'm playing Brainstorm, and then I can just cast a ponder, mill the Pyroblast, and look at fresh cards. So when you're playing this Is It engine, the dead cards in your deck, they're just dragon fuel. Uh, you have so many ways to get rid of them and sculpt them away that you can afford to play dead cards because everything is so fluid which is why when you look at the delver sideboard it's mostly just super powerful one and two ups because they're thinking yeah i'll see half my deck by turn four why would i need more than one and that's always been the case of these uh turbo xerox strategies like even before drc the ponder brainstorm fetchland engine that's always how delver's been built we just play like one or two of the most potent cards spread across the sideboard i've played delver lists in the past in serious tournaments with 15 unique cards in the sideboard and you just get like a little bit of overlap where it's like i could hard target elves with plague engineer or hard target death and taxes with dead of night or i could play one of each split the difference and like i hit death and taxes twice and like then i have and the festivities for elves too and like you just get this smorgasbord of cards with utility and i think that drc being added to the churn lets you really hard target even more where you would play cards with spread spread of utility like i just said where like the end the festivities and the plague engineer are good against elves and then dead of night for specifically death and taxes and, and like etc but if there's like mentor decks in the format it's good there too i'm obviously talking about a different era because these cards are not playable but this is like my experience playing grixis delver back in the day now you can play even more hard targeted things because you're going to find them even faster and you can shred past the ones that aren't good if you bring them in at all and DRC sees so many fucking cards. It's outrageous. So I want to talk about Pyroblast a little bit before we actually get into answering the question. I think Pyroblast is really defensible right now. When I think about pillars of the Legacy format right now, I, I think about Blue Red Delver. I think about Death and Taxes. And I think about whatever blue control color combination is popular for the current weekend. And then there's kind of fringes beyond that. And Pyroblast is not dead versus Delver anymore because of the existence of Yorian. Uh, Most of the Death and Taxes versions... You mean Death and Taxes? Whatever I said, Death and Taxes. Yorian, blue can be pyroblasted is is what i'm getting at here so like if it is extremely good versus delver still fringe playable versus death and taxes as the games go extremely long and good against like narset days undoing hull breacher or whatever nonsense is happening from the blue control decks that's a pretty justifiable card that is going to miss in some matchups but will be pretty good against huge pillars of the format all right now are we ready to like actually address the question itself is pyroblast main deck in multiples a sign of a warped format i would like to qualify the question with in any number like 
How unhealthy okay, sure. is a format with one main deck power of last and how unhealthy is a format with three? Because I think those are different questions or at least different answers a little bit. Why don't you break it down for us? Brian? Okay, so three is a significantly larger number than one. The genius. Really? Genius. All right. Um, I'm going to I'm going to start on a serious answer. Then the reason we're talking about this is because like magic Twitter has just been all about pyroblast. Like this, this has been showing up absolutely everywhere in conversations. And one of the things that immediately came to my mind is vintage. Vintage is an extremely high power level format with very well established pillars that you often need to hate on. So in vintage, you see things like main deck Hercules recall. Is that a sign that the format is unhealthy or warped? Well, no, I would say Vintage as a whole is probably pretty healthy most of the time. Like, we've given Vintage a lot of praise over the last two years. But it is a format where, like, sometimes you do play cards that are straight up dead in matchups. And some decks will do something like main deck Force of Vigors because, like, ah, it can hit Moxon if you're not Shops. But it's really important for me to improve my Shops matchup for X, Y, or Z reason. I think the card innately being in the main deck doesn't necessarily mean that the format is warped. Yeah, a card like Hercules Recall is going to be bad sometimes, but when it's good, it's going to be really good. And Hercules Recall in Vintage, for the, to keep this comparison going, is in decks that can move cards around. Like, that deck's going to have Brainstorm in it, it's going to have Dak Faden or Jace or something that can move cards around and turn that into something else. It can pitch that Hercules Recall to Force of Will. They're using every part of the buffalo on that one. When it's bad, if it's like, if the floor on this card is pitches to Force of Will, and the ceiling is the game ends immediately, I think that is a justifiable, just deck-building, Magic the Gathering decision to make. Now, how's Pyroblast fit in that in that field? Uh, Pyroblast does not pitch to Force of Will. You will play against non-blue decks. How bad is, I have to hold on to this thing until I can brainstorm it away? I guess the actual floor on Pyroblast is I can surveil with DRC and then eat it with Murktide. Like just Pyroblast your basic land, surveil one, that's two cards in the graveyard for Murktide. And I think that floor is pretty high, all things considered, for how dead a card could be in a game of Magic. Like we talked about drawing your Thoughtseize when your opponent's already hellbent. That's a dead card. Pyroblast, when you have DRC and Murktide in the mix, is never actually dead. I want to say that I lost that exact line. My opponent went, end step, pyroblast your land. And I was like, what? That's weird. And then I went, oh no. And then like big fat Murktide came down and smacked me and I died the following turn cycle. Going back to Vintage for a quick second and the comparison to Pyroblast, because Pyroblast is a main deckable card in Vintage, right? Like I'm sure Brian has played main deck copies. I play three main deck copies in my Tinker Breach deck. And when you look at Vintage, it's a solved metagame. You have your Bizarre decks, you have your Shop decks, and then you have your Blue Mirrors. And the Blue Mirrors are... You know, you have some variety in there, but, you know, a lot of it's pretty similar. Like, you're you're sharing 40 of the same cards. And when you look at Shops, which plays no blue cards, every once in a while you'll face, like, a weird old person playing Tinker in their Shops variant. But, like, it's really not that good. Uh, and then you have your Bizarre decks. Well, Pyroblast and Postboard games can hit Mindbreak Trap because sometimes Shop decks play that. And if that's the case, and if you don't have enough cards to board out... You can realistically keep in a Pyroblast if you need that one extra slot to counter a Mindbreak. And then against the Dredge decks, they often play eight plus free blue counters. So it even has some, you know, 
usefulness there. That said, if I can prefer to board out, or if I can board out my, or I just said my breed trap, Pyroblast in those matchups, I try to, but it's not absolutely dead. And I think that comparison transfers over to Legacy for the reasons that Brian mentioned with Dragon's Rage Channeler, plus a bunch of other things. In the past, um, this goes back a handful of years ago at this point, back when Young Pyromancer was still playable, but it gave you that token and everyone thought, oh wow, that's so good. But now that you don't visually see that token on the battlefield, that comparison, people don't see it quite the same because like how often is a 1-1 token as powerful as a surveil? And people just don't visually see it, therefore they don't recognize that a surveil can often be more powerful than a token. And I think that sort of stuff ends up being pretty interesting. If I'm recording and my opponent goes turn one Delver, my first thought is like, oh, cool, it's not Dragon Rage Channeler. Because that surveil is just so powerful when you don't answer that creature. Not just for Murktide region, but just for the raw selection that it allows you to do. Those brainstorms, ponders, and whatever, getting one card deeper matters so much. Yeah, my hierarchy of Delver openings are land go is my favorite one land ponder i'm wiping sweat off my brow land delver i'm like okay i know what this clock looks like land drc i'm like shit that is how turn ones can go and for a while when channeler was printed i still think channeler is a bazillion times more reasonable than ragavan where ragavan it's literally like well gotta throw anything i can at this wall like a Dragon's Rage Channeler, you can at least try to play around days, like take the three or take the surveil selection, let them have that to make sure your plow doesn't get days, whatever. You don't really want to. Delver, I'm taking the one or three every single time so I don't get dazed, but DRC, like, it's a real decision. Seeing four cards off your ponder, four cards off your brainstorm is... A lot more than three. I don't know if the two of you saw, but over the weekend, a Breach deck won the Vintage Show, or the Vintage Challenge, and they just played a full set of Dragon's Rage Channeler. And then in their tweet about winning, they're like, yeah, this card is so busted. I don't know why people don't play it. Legacy players certainly know how busted Dragon's Rage Channeler is. If you are a multi-format player, like, please take your knowledge from one format and apply it to others. So, like, way back, I know we were talking about, like, modern dragon rage channeler builds tech and like it hadn't been incorporated into legacy yet specifically with things like bobbles and now you see bobbles all the time if you're playing legacy and you're going hey this card's broken can i try it in vintage too go for it wager your 100 play points on like yourself and see if it's actually good yeah when the when star city came to philadelphia they had a modern main event and then i had a local modern two point something k the following weekend and i played grixis death shadow in both of those events hadn't really seriously tried to win with modern just some goofing around on the channel in modern queues but really trying to win playing grixis shadow a dedicated drc ragavan deck i was like oh my god like when i actually like dialed in trying to win like turn one dragon's raid channel like, play mishra's bobble surveil one bobble you like it was it was like what have i been doing if i want to win games of magic why have i registered anything else in a legacy tournament for the past eight months this is insane just that modern experience i don't know that i would have selected delver and top aided the buffalo chicken event last weekend if i hadn't played grixis shadow and modern uh, leading up to that all right so kind of spinning off the question in a slightly different way like is the format unhealthy and is the format solved are different questions and there can also be like the third category of like the format is unhealthy and the format is also solved. 
yes um, is where, a solved where are format you all on this i think that legacy right now so i think unhealthy is one thing i think solved is another thing i think you could argue that solved formats are unhealthy but that's not what i'm going to talk about here i think that legacy is both individually solved and unhealthy because generally in a solved format like when i won the star city invitational that was a solved format grixis dust shadow and eldrazi tron were the only two good decks and i played death and taxes which beat both of them and i didn't have to think about anything else because those were the only two decks solved formats are exploitable and that's good for some people i don't think that that format that modern format was unhealthy because if the best deck is like a kind of mid-range control deck that plays interaction then kills you with a big creature later on uh, in a format full of removal if that's your best thing in a format as powerful as modern i think that's reasonable like it's not turn two storm it's not anything like shadow wins on like turn six or seven a lot of the time you get a lot of back and forth delver although it meets a lot of those same criteria the way that it is interacting feels unhealthy i, I think that there should be something exploitable about delver and there currently isn't i mean like you can play you could probably build a deck that's just like main deck graveyard hate main deck chokes main deck uh four run of fouls or like you know pick your stupid thing and you could build that deck but that's not real as far as like how easy it is for delver to just like main deck a brazen borrower and add an extra submerge to its sideboard and vastly improve its quote bad matchup against merit lage decks versus what the merit lage deck does has to do to push back or what a random legacy player who doesn't want to play Delver or Merit Lage, what they have to do to even try to pretend they're competitive, I think that is unhealthy. I played a deck like what Brian just described this week. Just like a, a stupid deck with a bunch of cards specifically meant to kill Delver. And guess what? I killed Delver. Spoiler, what do you think the rounds looked like where I didn't play against Delver? Probably bad. That would be my Very, guess very, well. very bad. Like, I played a pile of, like, Endurances, Hex Drinkers, like, elvish reclaimers things that were just gonna like dodge and ignore lightning bolts i was just gonna nuke my opponent's graveyard every turn make it so they can't play a murktide can't grow a dragon rage channeler and i bullied the shit out of delver and i forget what combo deck i got paired against but I, like i got paired against a combo deck had like literally four thorn of amethyst in my sideboard is the only things that mattered in the matchup easily lost no 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 ability to play towards a win so I'd like to uh, circle back to what Brian was talking about, about how if Delver wants to push back on you, it can. And that's been a theme for a long time now. If we look back at the uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist era, we talked about the same thing then. You could say that the same thing existed during the Ren and Six era. And it's always been the one centralized theme. When Delver has card advantage, it's so easy for that deck to manipulate that card advantage to run the opponent out of steam while doing the best thing that it can do in legacy. And I think we're at a similar spot right now where expressive iteration is so good that it's two mana dig through time. And that extra card advantage plus this surveil, so your card quality is always so high that doesn't take a whole lot to find these silver bullets, plus your cards are super powerful and it has a bunch of free counter magic to stop the things that it might be afraid of anyway. So it plugs the, the gaps extremely well. So 
a lot of people right now are talking about like, well, what if you ban expressive iteration? In this next section, there's another card that we're going to talk about that could potentially fill its shoes pretty well. How about, I'm gonna let Phil introduce this new section and then we'll come back to this. All right, this section is going to sound really familiar to those of you who have been longtime listeners of the podcast, because this is essentially a return to the mid-range wars um, episode that we did previously, where the general thesis was beating a mirror often involves going slightly bigger than the opponent. And this is something that we've seen again and again and again. And specifically why we're revisiting this right now is uh, one of the Magic Zoomers posted a a little baby article, like a two-page Google Doc with some pretty darn good ideas oh, this about thing it. was four pages, Phil. This was a full article. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we all right. have it up right I now. I just have this a giant. Is Isaac Bullwinkle. I have a giant monitor. Like, don't mind me. Yeah, okay, four-page article. And uh, this is by Isaac Bullwinkle, one of the Zoomers, um, at Bullwinkle6705, if you want to go uh, follow them for some knowledge drops. And essentially, their their thesis was, Delver has multiple plans right now, and I don't know that the deck is fully taking advantage of, like, the plan that is better. How can I rebuild this deck in a way that allows me to have a more cohesive, consistent plan? So I'd like to credit Jarvis U. With about a month or so ago, Jarvis started playing a main deck Mystic Sanctuary in Delver, and then a main deck Pyroblast. And I mean, these aren't crazy innovative things, but Jarvis realized, hey, I need to go bigger if I'm going to win the mirrors, and winning the mirrors is how you get to win events. And then since then, prelims have happened, people have gone, oh, Jarvis is playing a main deck Pyroblast. And then, you know, in prelims, people started playing two, and then somebody went all the way up to three, and then that carried over into the showcase. So we're full on mid-range war now. And Isaac Bullwinkle's article mentions, hey, what if we just cut the worst card in our deck? Delver of Secrets. And instead, if you get to cut Delver, you can maximize on Mishra's Bobble, which makes Dragon's Rage Channeler even better. And if we're making Channeler even better, you can play cards like Predict. And Predict is really interesting because with Dragon's Rage Channeler, you get a super sweet combo. And with Predict, let's say you don't have your Channeler because, you know, you're only roughly 40% to open hand, you know, that card or whatever. You have Mishra's Bobble that you're allowed to run four of now because you're not playing Delver. So Predict just becomes two mana, two cards, which is what Expressive Iteration is. So now they've found a secondary consistent card advantage engine for this deck. And now they're just all in on the, hey, play a giant Merc Tide and protect it plan. Yeah, and if you're not trying to cheese tempo with the abundance of one drops, there's no Delver in the deck and you can't rely on DRC to be there in your opener. Wasteland loses a lot of stock. There's only two of that in this list. Days loses a lot of stock. There's only three in the list. And those are mostly to reset your one of Mystic Sanctuary later. It's barely even there to counter spells. It's there to be a machine gun dig through time later. This deck makes a ton of sense. And I love this thesis. And the reason being is that it looks very familiar because I wrote it myself five or six years ago in the Popper format when it was just understood that your tempo or blue mid-range kind of deck would play Delver. And fast forward to present day, Demir Fairies doesn't play Delver. Is it Fairies doesn't play Delver. Both of those decks have settled into Instead of Delver of Secrets, this weird card that sometimes does stuff and sometimes doesn't, we can play a card like Thorn of the Black Rose. 
and just double down on card advantage and win every long game and ignore the early game. I'm not taking credit for Isaac's ideas here. I'm just saying there is historical precedence of this sort of thing delivering. I played against this deck. Like I read the article. I was like, yeah, that all makes sense. And then sort of dismissed it from my brain. And then I queued into it this week with Dark Band. That is my one of my favorite decks that exists in Legacy right now. I think it's wildly poorly positioned. I don't recommend it. But I love that deck. I know the Delver matchup is solid. Not good because nothing is good. Uh, I'm not saying that. But like you have a plan. Nothing I was doing could touch this deck. Just when they started predicting, when they started expressive iterating, when they bought back Mystic Sanctuary for the second and third time. No chance at all. Not even with my Uro deck, my Endurance deck. It, this thing is very good at doing what it does. And what it does is the modern strategy. The modern Is It Merktide deck. Notice it's not called Is It Delver, despite ho- containing most of the same cards and Delver being legal in that format. It's called Is It Merktide, because it is there to cast Merktide Regent. And this whole supporting cast just gets Merktide Regent into play and protects it, which is now what is happening in the legacy build as well so this deck also like revisits or maybe reinvents some old tech that we've seen so sideboard counterbalance from delver and other decks like delver is something that has absolutely happened in legacy before it is often a questionable choice but like when it is the right thing to do like you probably have your top eight to go with it right like that is a powerful thing to have in your pocket yeah, and, and that was one of the sections of Isaac's article, which was just straight up, and we touched on this a little bit above with the card selection. Every sideboard card is a game ender in this build. Two end the festivity, two pop, two meltdown, two pyroblast, two surgical, two counterbalance, two submerge, one force negation. Every one of those cards has something directly in its crosshairs. And we talked about the fun of one of 15 different card sideboard. Isaac's like, nah, we're going to have two of all of the best cards, not 15 of this cleverly overlapping BS. I'm going to board in like two or four cards in every matchup, and they're going to win that matchup when I find them. And I'm going to find them quickly because my deck's built to do that. So I'd like to circle back uh, just a little bit. So we talked about expressive iteration, finding everything. Same thing with Dragon's Rage Channel and Predict. So we talked about the card advantage engine being what breaks Delver. Right now, Isaac's build has brought back predict it brought back counterbalance counterbalance is like pseudo card advantage it's a little bit like in theory but i think the the main idea here is expressive iteration and predict historically in the past they've gone after the card advantage engine to take dollar down a notch if hypothetically expressive iteration were to go i think predict and isaac's build makes a whole lot of sense for something to look at in the future because they're certainly not going after predict that that wouldn't make any sense um so I think it actually becomes sort of murky. Like if I was in wizard shoes right now, I honestly don't know what I'd do because like, I think if you go after expressive iteration, dragons reach channel or predict bobble is still a very powerful thing. Um, so it's tough. And I think that, I mean, I've always been anti days, but I don't think they're ever actually going to hit it. So whoever's making these decisions is being put in a tough spot and credit to Isaac for bringing light to this new build yeah like we i think we've all talked about this individually before but like we don't want to be the ones pulling the trigger on like the legacy ban the 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 physical list itself like that is a hard thing to do you have so many people to keep happy like there's so many interconnected parts it's it's tough and 
Like, it's probably so tough right now because, like, Delver needs more than one card hit out of it. Because as we saw with the Ragavan, like, not enough was cut off of the Terrible Beast there. Really? Yeah, I, you know, it's shocking news. It's not like we've had to talk about uh, Blue-Red Delver every episode for the last two months because it's just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, normally I don't want to make the calls, years. but if you want to give me the key and just chop the head off of Expressive Iteration right now, I'm not going to feel bad about anyone's uncommon that... If it's not legal and standard, it only recently rotated. Like, that's the kind of card that I would love to see banned with very little feel-bads to anyone. Dragon's Rage Channel are also an uncommon. I mean, if you bought your set of Mythic Rares, the Murktide Regent, you spent 80 bucks on that or whatever. That's a little bit of a hit. Uh, depending on your investment in the game, it might be a big hit. But Expressive Iteration, come on, Watsy, what are we doing here? It's not Mishra's Workshop. It's an in-print uncommon. Get rid of it. So one argument that I've seen reiterated over and over on Reddit is that Legacy should be separate from Modern and the fact that Modern should get to have all the broken threats where Legacy should get to have all the broken free counter spells. And I think it's such a weird way of thinking of how to separate the two formats, but it's brought up so often. And uh, I'm just curious what your take on that is. Every time I go back and I play a modern league, I just feel my past trauma come back as like Ragavan and Ren and Six are legal. And it's like, what the fuck is this? How is it still okay to do that there? The answer to that I, I question get, I, is I, I, also, I know the serious I, question. I know, I'm like, just going to uh, answer that exasperated hypothetical with Brian's real question, which is that modern and legacy are just materially different feel different play patterns are different ragavan's okay because the removal can hit it because days and force of will aren't backing it up ren and six is okay because there's no wasteland like there there's just so many different things like the core cards especially the two uh modern horizon sets obviously dented both formats in a significant way which they were supposed to by design and the fact that you had to ban Ragavan and Renin 6 out of Legacy, but they're triumphs in Modern, I think they've designed that set extremely well. And whatever somebody thinks should be the defining characteristics of a deck or a format doesn't matter if cards are printed that change that identity. I think if Legacy and Modern became indistinguishable from each other, we'd have a problem. But that is not even close to the case, and anyone who actually plays both of those formats could tell you that immediately. One thing that I think about fairly often is how broken Dreadhorde Arcanus ended up being in Legacy due to the cantrips. And I think you could, I mean, when you think of Legacy, you think of Brainstorm and Ponder, right? Uh, but when you go and look at Modern, you have Serum Visions and Consider and Opt. And the power level drop-off there is pretty far, and nobody plays Dreadhorde Arcanist in Modern. Um, it's just like the power level in which you get to abuse those powerful one drops is just very different. Yeah, it's the same reason. Like Dreadhorde Arcanist being unplayable in Modern and Banned in Legacy is the same reason Ragavan is playable in Modern and Banned in Legacy. Like what ra the damage dealt when a Ragavan connects is a huge part of what Ragavan is as a presence on the battlefield. And if it's regularly taking ponders, then it's just Dreadhorde Arcanist. If it's regularly taking like Kroxa or Teferi or, you know, like higher cost cards or removal spells that you're not going to cast because your, your Ragavan's the only creature in play, that's just a different thing. Uh, modern decks have higher land counts than legacy decks in a lot of, in normal circumstances, lands decks notwithstanding. It's just totally different axes, totally different intangibles to consider. While you can port your modern deck to legacy, and sometimes that, that is a success, 
we don't see a ton of legacy hammer time for example right uh there was like a two-week period where people were trying that out and pretty excited about it and then that kind of fell out right the formats are different enough and like some of the specifics of the things missing from the modern card pool like wasteland days force of will like those sorts of things enable some things to work in modern that just don't work in legacy Uh, another great example is just burn burn is everywhere in modern like it is a real force to be reckoned with if you're playing modern leagues you're going to run into it and then legacy burn is like this tier four deck like a bunch of the diehard burn fans will do fine with it because they know exactly what they need to be doing in their matchups but playing the burn deck in the like show and tell world in the uro world like it's hard all right so do we have any kind of closing thoughts on delver pyroblast or the mid-range wars here I don't know if we ever actually answered the thesis of the episode, if I'm being honest. Like, is is Pyroblast a sign of a unhealthy metagame? Innately, I believe the answer is no. Like, if just any time period you say, like, hey, is someone playing a Blast main deck a sign of an unhealthy metagame? I would say the answer to that is, like, no. That's, like, very clearly targeting something that is in the format. I think when you're at the point where we're at now, where people are playing three of them main deck and, like, Everyone knows what the best deck is. Everyone knows those Pyroblasts are there very specifically to fight primarily against one deck. When you take multiple factors involved, like, the answer is probably yeah. Like, there, there's something wrong. Yeah, I want to re- bring back our friend Solved. Uh, I think that Pyroblast is always a sign of a solved metagame, but it's not always a sign of, a, of an unhealthy metagame. There are solved healthy metagames that exist. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic way to put it. I, I think those are our uh, wise words to end on, honestly. Yep. Enjoy pyroblasting for the time that it's left. And hit the expressive iteration. Don't wait for the Merc Tide. Enjoy. <laughs>